want to hear a story about a nosy tom, red garters, and a hidden treasure? Well, welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your host, Fox and Sparrow, where we will search every field to bring you the best stories. Top of the morning to you. For today's episode, we have a tricky leprechaun story for you, straight from Joseph Jacobs' collected work on Celtic fairy tales. Joseph Jacobs was a Jewish-Australian folklorist, but was known for his extensive edited collections from all over the world, including Ireland and India. He popularized the best-known versions of certain fairy tales you might know, like Jack and the Beanstalk, The Three Little Pigs, and Goldilocks. In the introduction to this book, Jacobs wrote that he wanted the tales to come directly from the people of Ireland and embody the essence of the Irish and Celtic folk imagination. We have supplemented our understanding of his stories by looking at original sources from the Irish Folklore Commission's records and also our own collective commentary. When you think about it, between Joseph Jacobs and Brothers Grimm, you cover majority of well-known European folk stories and fairy tales. It's actually quite impressive, but just between the two or three of these people that we get so much information and so many good stories. Obviously, they come from traditional storytelling, but still, we owe these guys a lot for just writing it down. Yeah, I think there's a big difference between having someone like an author who writes their own fairy tales, kind of like Anderson, and then we have people that collect fairy tales, like the Grimm's Mm -hmm. Brothers and Jacobs, where they go out and they look for the sources of these stories and write them down. Both, I think, are important. One of them is the creation of the fairy tales, the creation of the stories, and then the other one is collecting them and making sure we're preserving them. And I think both have an important role here. Mm Mm-hmm. And now it is time to go away with the fairies and start our story. Our story begins on a fine day of the harvest. In fact, this happens on one of the greatest holidays of the year. Lady Day! Yay! I love Lady Day, don't you? Well, I mean, Lady Day isn't quite what you would think it is. According to the Irish Folklore Commission, there were two heavily celebrated Lady Days. One was a church holiday on March 25th where laborers could just pack up and move to another farm, essentially saying, I quit. And then the second (laughs) lady day is the harvest one, which occurs on August 15th and locals would just go to holy wells to pray for cures for ailments, for wishes, and whatever else you pray for at wells or holy springs. Oh, I thought it was just like ladies day, like ladies could do whatever the heck they wanted that day or something. Um... It's not what I expected at all. (laughs) No, I think it's in reference to Mary or, in some cases, patron saints. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, we'll have to find another day and call it Ladies' Day and just hang out because we never do that. (laughs) Well, March, there is International Women's Day on March 8th. That's true. But I doubt they were celebrating that on their Lady Day. They're missing out. Think of all (laughs) the purple they could have worn. And What else do we do for International Women's Day? All I know is we wear purple. Or is that not a thing either? <laughs> uh, I've never heard of anyone wearing purple for, in- for International Women's Day. Okay, so I am completely making stuff up at this point, apparently. Well, I mean, it could be true. I've just, you know, <laughs> besides ads on TV, which I don't even watch anymore, I haven't really, you know, participated in many Lady Day celebrations. Anyways, disappointing to hear it wasn't just a ladies' day, just where, you know, they get to go to the spa and stuff. But cool that they get to either just say they quit or they get a day off of work. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit suspicious that they go to the Holy Springs to pray. And I mean, if they go to the Holy Springs, what if they get into the water, they get a little bath, they enjoy themselves? It could be both. We could do both. 
yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So you go to the Holy Spring, you just enjoy it, and then you just happen to have like a nail polish uh, with you and just happen to soak your feet in there and just, yeah, I can see it. (laughs) On this sunny day, while some ladies are at the holy water for their spa day, Tom Fritz Patrick was out for a walk when he suddenly heard a clanking noise in a nearby hedge. Tom thought it strange to hear uh, what he suspected were stonecutters working on the holiday. It seems Tom had nothing better to do, so he decided to investigate this. And when I say investigate, I mean he went on his tiptoes and tried to peek through the bushes to see if his guess was right. Now, I'm not saying our boy Tom here is a peeping Tom, but he's a peeping Tom. Maybe this is the origins of the word. (laughs) I... I don't know if that's exactly where the origins of the word coming from, but his name is Tom, and he is just straight up pushing his head into the bushes, trying to see what's on the other side and who is making a noise. That's all I'm saying. You know what? I, I appreciate Tom's level of nosiness because I am also that level of nosiness where if I think something's going on, I'll just chill out by the window. I'll, you know, hang out by the front door. I'll figure out what's going on. We might call him Peeping Tom, but... He's got a good point. I guess, but if you're just walking by and you see someone with their head in the hedge, that's suspicious. That's weird. I don't know if I would want to be caught doing that, personally. I I would rather just let the mystery sit and not be caught just checking out my neighbors and seeing what they're up to. Yeah, okay, I think it's, it's a different... I think we are different people here because I love... And this is going to sound really creepy, but I love looking like through people's windows. And it's not, it's not like I like looking through their windows to like catch them doing something. But I like to see like the interior design. I like to see the layout. I just like to see people doing normal family things sometimes. Like when you're walking past houses and the windows are, you know, bright and open and, you know, you can catch glimpses of the, what's going on inside. Sometimes, like, I, you know, stray. My eyes stray over and I see, you know, a nice kitchen or I see some plants. And plants, I think, are what get me the most. Apartment buildings that mm-hmm. have, like, really big glass windows or balconies and there's plants all over them, they just draw the eye. Because I want to see what plants does this person have? What condition are they in? Why are their pet plants alive and mine keep dying? So you heard it here, folks. If you are living in an apartment building with lots of glass windows and you have lots of plants, there's a good chance Fox will be staring through your windows trying to figure out how you keep your plants alive. Oh, my God. It's so awkward because sometimes, like, when you're just walking and you're looking around, you make eye contact with someone inside their house, and it's very awkward. But very. I just, like, I'm not, I'm not peeping for, like, I'm not trying to be a peeping Tom. I'm just looking to see, you know, what's going on because I'm just a nosy person. I just want to know what's happening. So when I was growing up, there was a house across the road from me. And the house, I kid you not, always looked abandoned. Like, there was never a car there. The grass was overgrown. Like, they definitely had, like, roof problems at one point. And it was just, like, they never fixed it. Like, we were in a newly built neighborhood, so all the houses were brand new. But this house was essentially bought the first day and then immediately abandoned to be that creepy house that nobody wants to go near. So me and my friends would all the time try and get close to this house to creep in and see because we were just like we were convinced something was weird was going on in this house because it's completely abandoned in this newly built neighborhood. And we got caught a couple times by other neighbors, never the neighbor that lived there. 
who would always give us a stern talking to, but we had to keep explaining to them, but like, but we're playing spy kids and we need to figure out what's going on. <laughs> so I feel like after being caught one too many times as a kid playing spy kids on this house across the street, I feel like maybe I've learned my lesson and can't do that anymore. <laughs> well, see, that's your mistake. You didn't go for the nice, lovely, lit, plant-filled houses. You went for the, like, the, the murder house. <laughs> we wanted to know what was happening. Gosh, dang it. See, I still don't know why, what was up with that family. Even though, you know, I'm a minority, I won't die in a horror movie because there's no way I'm going near it. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Sometimes if I think a street looks too creepy, I'll just walk down a different street. It's a survival instinct. It's like I'm not walking down that street where the murder house is. I'm not going near the murder house, you know? That abandoned house in the corner lot, yeah, stay far away from that. <laughs> oh my gosh well as a child you know children are the first to die in horror movies sometimes it's because they go investigating that kind of stuff they don't know fear (laughs) um where are we uh so basically nosy tom was being nosy to the point where he just shoved his face into a like a hedge or a a bush yeah which is commitment it is commitment and you know what? If Tom hadn't done that, the story wouldn't have happened. So we'll respect him for this decision, I suppose. It's at this point the noise ceased. But Tom was still peeping and was surprised to see a nook in the corner of the hedge that had a brown pitcher, which could likely hold a gallon and a half of liquor. They don't say like a gallon and a half of like liquid or water. They're like, nope, liquor. That's what it's only carrying. <laughs> But that's not all. There was also a little wee old man who wore a dusty cocked hat and a leather apron. This tiny fella put out a stool, stood upon it, and dipped a little pail into the pitcher. Once he retrieved what he could from the pitcher, he placed the pail beside the stool and began to work at putting a heel piece on a bit of brogue just fit for himself. Well, I'll be, Tom excitedly said under his breath. I always heard tales of the leprechaun, but I never really believed them. And yet, here is one right before my very own eyes. If I play my cards right, I'm a made man. They say that a body must never take their eyes off of them, or else they'll escape. My question is, why is Tommy Boy here saying this aloud? Is he narrating? Excuse me, that's our job. My favorite part is that in all the variations of this leprechaun with the hidden treasure folktale that I've seen, there's always just a leprechaun minding his own business, working on something, until he's interrupted by a nosy person that just, you know, asks for something or bothers him or, you know, tries to take something of his. These poor little wee free men are just trying to do their own thing, it seems, and they keep being bothered. And for anyone who hasn't, Read it yet? The We Free Men by Terry Pratchett is an excellent audiobook to listen to. <laughs> okay, I'm taking a step back here quickly. We heard earlier that Tom, when he was peeping on this man, was that he went onto his tiptoes. And quite honestly, going to your tiptoes is a bit of like, it's more of a child thing to do, in my opinion. Like, obviously, adults sometimes do it too, but to talk about actually doing that strained look is usually something more younger children would do so my impression is that tom is actually more of a child or if not a child like a youngish middle 
he's adolescence at least and him just kind of essentially bothering his neighbor really does track like sorry he asked to drink alcohol later on so like he doesn't ask to drink alcohol but i think that's because you know he's not allowed to he's just gonna try and take a chance when he can this is my impression maybe tom is a full-on adult but by the way he's going about this it really reminds me more of like a child just bothering someone randomly i think this is just a kid kind of just going out of his way to bother someone which is much more likely to happen whereas an adult might uh mind their own business more likely the other variation of the story that i'm thinking of is about two children called tom and mary and they bother the leprechaun kind of the same and it follows the almost exactly the same kind of storyline but i would say that tom is probably more of a young man so he's still someone that labors on the farm he has cows he can drink and he's someone that you know has an idea of the different kind of superstitions because he does mention a couple later on and he has an idea of you know what's correct what you do but he's still young enough that he can be easily fooled and folk magic folk superstitions and folk imagination is so big in ireland it you know it taint is almost everything people do And so it's not out of the realm that he's going to be superstitious and still be an adult. But you're right. I mean, some of the stuff he does comes across a little bit more childlike in the way because, you know, he's going out of his way to try and figure out who's in the bushes, what they're doing. And so I would place him more as maybe someone who's just recently maybe turned 18 or 19. He's had enough time to work and he's had enough time to have a farm, to know what Lady Day is to know what drinking is but he's also young enough where that curiosity is still there Mm -hmm. my other thought is he's also talking to himself aloud when he's trying to be sneaky (laughs) come on tom pull it together that's not your job to narrate your life (laughs) just a nat one on sneaking (laughs) whatever age tom may be creepy peeping tom quietly moved closer and he continued to stare at the leprechaun just as a cat stares at its prey and when he got close Tom said to him, God bless your work, neighbor. Now let's just take a step back for a second. Tom heard a noise in the hedge, went on his tiptoes to investigate the source, saw the leprechaun, moved closer, and then spoke to him. Either he has shoved his face like further into the hedge, and it's like all the way in now, or somehow silently like moved his entire body through the hedge and gone on the other side. It's the Homer Simpson meme where he like he just comes out of the out of the the hedge and goes back into it. And again, I can't help but be the person walking by as Tom is doing this. You either see a guy whose full head is in the hedge and the rest of his body is hanging out, or you see like that person imprint like as they've pushed through the hedge trying to get to the other side. I think people would just assume the fairies have got him. They're like, "Goodbye, Tom. This is this is out of our our jurisdiction. It's it's your you and the fairies now." Tom has clearly foregone any thought of how this is appearing to him. And he's just so focused on this, which is like, fine, credit. You're going to focus on your goals and everything. But this is getting a little ridiculous here. (laughs) Either way, the leprechaun is not startled by Tom, most likely because Tom rolled like a nat one or two. So he pushed through the hedge and the leprechaun raises his head and says to Tom, thank you kindly. Ooh. What is it that you're working on this holiday? Asked Tom. That's my own business and not yours, the man replied. Which, I mean, I can hardly blame him. I wouldn't want to tell this random stranger who's 
walk to the hedge I was working on either. Straight up trying to mind his own business and someone's just bothering him. If someone came up to you while you were podcasting and they asked you, what, what are you doing? How would you react? Uh, I'd probably have to stop my audio and then tell them to go away <laughs> or just say, oh, you know, just, just a hobby because it's, it's still weird to tell people that you have a podcast. But it means they've also invaded your personal privacy area, right? Yeah, I mean, at first I'd be like, how are you in my house? But that doesn't really apply here because, you know, the leprechaun isn't in a... In, it's, maybe he's in his own field, but he's not in his own house. So it's, it's a little bit different. Yeah, it still feels like once there's a hedge there, it's, it's a bit of a fence and you have a bit more of a license to be like, excuse me, this is my area, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's in the, I mean, at least in the UK from what I've seen, and I really support this, but they have lots of hedges around their property, and I couldn't imagine sticking your head through and then going through a hedge, basically, (laughs) into someone else's property, and this is a side note. Aesthetically, hedges are, just look so much better than fences, and I think they do the job so much better because you can get complete privacy in some cases because they're so tall. And so I do agree that in some sense, having a hedge there does imply, okay, this is private land, this is a private issue going on. Yeah. And this is why I think Tob is a young man. He's still that little bit of brave and curious where he's foolhardy and he just does what he wants without thinking of the consequences. And again, that's why I keep feeling like this is actually a very strange sight. It's just the image keeps coming back and I'm just like, Tom, what are you doing? Tom, stop. Tom, okay, he's doing it. Let's go. Tom shook his head. Well, I meant no offense, but, uh, say, what you got in the picture there? Oh, that? He says with a grin. It's good beer. Beer, said Tom. Thunder and fire, where did you get it? Where did I get it? Why, I made it? Care to guess what it's made of? Now, Tom was no expert brewer, but he supposed it could only be made from malt. But the little man happily contradicted him and told him it was made from heath. At this, Tom burst out laughing because he did not think it possible. The little man was not bothered by this, but explained he was taught by the Danes. Hmm, I wonder if the leprechaun got certified by them too, or at least got his like license to serve alcohol, because that's a big deal, I know, for leprechauns. Well, either way, he might be a pilsner man, and we cannot think of anyone more boring. <laughs> Oh, God. I, did, like, I watched that entire season with Teddy, not really knowing what Pilsners were. And it just made it even worse because I, I had no idea what he was talking about. And he kept saying home brewing and I brewed a Pilsner and Rose infused Pilsner and Thanksgiving Pilsner. This man is at home making beer, which is weird. I mean, to be fair, you might be the most interesting person in the world and you might make Pilsners. But just Teddy as a whole as a character from Brooklyn Nine-Nine was just, he was not it. And I'm now afraid that he's going to show up and try and marry Amy Santiago. Oh my gosh. I loved how you tried to still do it in the last episode. Yeah, when she was pregnant and he was like, Amy Santiago. And she was like, no, get up. I One of my coworkers is super into beer and he loves talking about beer. But that said, he's also really interesting when he talks about beer. Like you can tell he's very passionate about it, but it's also not the only thing he talks about. Um, And I just looked up what Pilsner was and Pilsner is very light coloring. And based off of what I now know from this guy is like, that's not considered good beer by any standards. So I can see now more of why they mock him for not only just being really into this, but also being really into making this like the worst kind of beer. 
I mean, he didn't choose a very fun one. He just said, yep, this is the one. I want to make the boringest one I can think of. Yeah. But no, my coworker who's into beer, he is like, there's people who like beer and there's people who like craft beer. Don't mix the two up. <laughs> okay. Well, if any of our viewers have any strong thoughts on beer, craft beer, uh, we probably won't know enough to have a conversation with you, but it'd be nice to hear what you think about uh, the leprechaun and his little homemade beer situation. Yeah, and stay tuned for Five Fantastic Finds when we may or may not talk about it more. Yay! Eventually, Tom asked to try the beer, but the little man rebuked him. The little man told him that he would be better off tending to his father's property than bothering quiet folk like him. He continued stating that even while he was wasting his time here, his cows had broken into their oats. At this, Tom nearly turned around before catching himself. Worried that he may be tricked from taking his eyes off the leprechaun, Tom grabbed the little man, but in doing so, he knocked over the pitcher of beer. At this point, it escalated into a full shakedown, as Tom swears that if the little man does not show him where his money is, he will kill him. The little man is quite frightened by this sudden, hostile turn, and tells him of a crock of gold in a few fields over. Why are people so dramatic and drastic in fairy tales? It quickly goes from like a somewhat civil conversation to, and if you don't do this, I will murder you in cold blood. Why? Why? Fairy tales don't have a lot of time, so they can't have a full backstory for the villain to go home to plot his revenge. I think it just kind of has to happen in the moment. We're telling these kind of short stories in quick amounts of time, and... To be honest, when you're telling oral stories like this, having a flair for the dramatic is better because probably your audience wants to hear something a bit more dramatic, a bit more lively as opposed to being like, oh yeah, and then Tom very reasonably nodded, went home and, you know, never thought of the little man and his crock gold again. It just seems so drastic, in my opinion, that it went from, hey, can I have some of your beer? And the guy's like, no, and shouldn't you be doing your job? And then he's like, now you listen here, punk. Give me your money or else. See, this is another reason why I think Tom might be young adults, because I don't think children just go straight to murder right away, but That's a young fair. adult, like a young man might, who thinks he's, you know, riding off a high, he sees the wee free men, and he's like, all right, I'm going to do something about this now. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Probably right at this point, reading this again. This is one of the reasons I love doing this with you, is I feel like I had one assumption when I read it, but then it gets to change as I talk to you and get different views on this. Yeah, I think it's good that we have like a running commentary because then we can figure things out together. And I mean, a lot, this is the problem we have when we talked about one of our previous episodes in East of the Sun, West of the Moon, is that they, they had some really random numbers and dates they were specific with, but largely a lot of fairy tales don't bother that. They don't bother with ages, they don't bother no. with specific locations. And so it's hard to tell like how old someone is. And so we have to really go based off what they're doing and the way they do things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tom made his way to the field as directed by the little man still clenched in his hand it's also important to note that Tom continued to stare at this little man even as they crossed hedges ditch and even a bit of a bog so I have to imagine there was some tripping going on if he was not fully paying attention to where he was going he was always half paying attention to keeping an eye on this little man in his hand which is you know just a fun just a lovely image in my head of seeing this person stare at his hand and like tripping over things and falling into a ditch, but also always keeping a laser focus on it. 
It's just lovely. <laughs> Finally, they arrived at a field full of bullions, where the leprechaun pointed to a big bullion and told Tom to dig under it to find a pot full of guineas. Unfortunately, it didn't occur to Tom to bring a spade with him, and he figured he ought to go fetch one. So he tied a red garter to a bullion to remember where to dig. Now, bullion or ragwort is a large yellow plant that is a bit of a weed, but it could also mean a stick or a part of a stick. They are thought to be magical plants, and if you pull them up, the fairies will come after you. So it's kind of a thing that Tom is still willing to dig this up and risk the fairies coming after him for it. I mean, that could also be one of the reasons why the, the leprechaun told him to put the that that's where he had it because the fairies will come after him and in some folklore fairies and leprechauns they're not the same but they do have a nice connection and leprechauns sometimes make shoes for fairies and they have a cute little togetherness about them that's not you know they work Mm. together in a way oh okay so they're like friends so he's telling Tom to dig up this plant and then he'll surely be caught by the bullion police i.e. the fairies. I mean, the fairies do have some very particular things they get into. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many Irish and Celtic stories of just fairies taking people away, of having weird tastes, of going after men, of not going after men, of going after women and not going after women, of having changelings and all of this. So Irish fairies are not, you know, your nice little cute fairies you see in children's stories. I think they're more like the Tinkerbell type of fairy where they're petty. Okay. Well, Tom has already taken a hostage in this situation and threatened to kill him. So at this point, Tom is not worried about the fairies. And after tying the red garter to it, he looks at the leprechaun and tells him to swear that he wouldn't remove it from the bullion. The leprechaun immediately swore he wouldn't and then politely asked if uh, Tom needed anything more from him. No, says Tom. You may go now, if you please, and God speed you, and may good luck attend you everywhere you go. So the leprechaun was on his way, and with that, Tom ran home like he had never run before. Retrieving the spade, he bolted back to the field of bullions. But alas, there was not a single bullion that had a red garter tied to it. Tom considered digging up the field, but the field was 40 acres. And while it kind of worked in the movie Holes, Tom was not ready to commit to that kind of work. So he went home empty-handed, and he cursed the leprechaun that day and every time he thought of how he was tricked by that little man. That is the story of Tom Fitzpatrick and the leprechaun. What did you think of this one, Fox? I generally do prefer fairy tales or myths and legends over folklore in some cases, just because I find folklore a little bit, it's not really my cup of tea, I think. I really enjoy fairy tales with lots of fantastical elements. I really enjoy legends and myth. But for what it is, I think folklore does have an important role in storytelling. And I think the fact that a story like this about a trickster and kind of a fantastic creature and this nosy peeping Tom comes together the way it does with, you know, a moral lesson that we can all agree with, I think. Mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. be nosy and don't demand things from people when you don't deserve it. And also maybe don't mess with leprechauns. Maybe, okay, there's a lot of lessons here. 
<laughs> that being said, I really do enjoy Celtic and Irish folklore because I think there's just the right amount of fantasy and just the right amount of realism in there so that you have to work your way through it. And I like the idea that at some point people just connected with everyday kind of fantasy creatures like fairies and leprechauns and dwarves. And it was just part of the everyday life. Yeah. I know in a lot of stories we see a lot of like seeing something mystical is kind of an amazing thing that's happening. It's out of the realm of the realistic. And that's what makes it the fairy tale. And then we have other the other end of the spectrum where everything is fantastical. Everything is magic. So just having kind of normal everyday interactions is so cool because that's that's what I would like. I'd like to, you know, go to a bakery and see a dragon helping a baker bake. I'd like to go oh, into, you know, yes. a jewelry, a jeweler and a dwarf helps me get something. You know, all of that kind of stuff I think is so cool to have a magical world where there's lots of cohabitation in a way. And I think I agree with you in that myths, legends and fairy tales have such more fantastical and let's do it sometimes folklore just feels a little more mundane as it were Mm -hmm. but i quite enjoy stories like this where it's so ridiculous Mm -hmm. in in its own regular sense like even if we just swapped out the leprechaun for being like a normal person and tom is now threatening a person to get his gold or something it's just still all like ridiculous and to the extreme like they're having a conversation about beer and like, oh, I know how to make beer in a way that you don't know how to make beer. And then suddenly he's like, give me your gold. Like, there's something relatable and, like, fun to, like, just analyze the mundane of it. And that's where I think I really enjoy the folklore is it's just it takes these small little things that's relatable. Sometimes we do get the weirdest stuff from folklore because it usually sticks close to regular and then just takes a nosedive somewhere. <laughs> so that's personally where I enjoy it the most. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's very important and it's a nice way to balance out the uh, the old stories that we get. Well, in a way as well, it makes you really think about how a lot of fantasy and fairy tales are structured where you have different groups of mythical creatures kind of separate from each other. Even in current, you know, fantasy TV shows like The Witcher, like Game of Thrones, you have lots of different groups that stay separate. And so it's nice to see intermingling. It's nice to see people being able to, you know, there are, in this case, Tom does have his reservations about the leprechaun. He does go to the stereotype that leprechauns always have gold. But, I mean, it's not like this is the first time that he's ever interacted with something that's mystical, it seems. It does seem like he has some kind of framework of social interaction here. And he goes, you know what? Yeah, it's going to go out the window and I'm going to start threatening you now. So that's a bit weird. But the rest of it seems like a normal conversation you'd have with your neighbor. You'd go, oh, what are you doing? You know, what are you making? Stuff like that. We enjoy the fantastic parts of the everyday life. And we can see that highlighted here in this folklore. But we want to highlight some more fantastical elements we found in our five fantastic finds. Number one. Irish mythology is made up of many overlapping cycles, including the mythological cycle, the Ulster cycle, the Fenian cycle, and the historical cycle. The earliest cycles are filled with gods, goddesses, and other elements that are tied to nature, whereas later cycles are focused on the deeds of kings and heroes, specifically also including the fairy race. As the stories evolved and were told through bards and families, they were preserved by noble scribes and Celtic Christian manuscripts. 
There is a lot of debate around the mythology of Ireland post-Christianization, and the role revisionist scholars had in creating an acceptable history for Ireland, as opposed to telling the history as it was. Oral storytelling is the largest preserver of these stories as folk tales, which is why there are lots of different tales that appear similar but have localized details. Groups like the Irish Folklore Commission are trying to preserve these oral traditions in the written form and have their original notes on their online archive where they have strived to collect folktales from the Irish populace since the 1930s. Number two, Ireland is known for having fantastic mythical creatures. Everything from the Banshee to the Changeling, the Water Kelpie, and so many others. But none are quite as iconic today as the Leprechaun. The Leprechaun is a solitary fairy creature that looks to be a grumpy, bearded little man. Today, they are often depicted to be wearing green clothing, and the Lucky Charms mascot is a great example of this. But before the 20th century, they were often described to be wearing primarily red clothing. And like today's story, they were always shoemakers, known by the sound of a tiny hammer while making their shoes. In fact, some suggest that the word Leprechaun derives from the Irish leather brow, meaning shoemaker. But there are other speculations on the origins of the name, and depending where you are in Ireland, you'll get a different pronunciation of it. While our good friend Tom may have been in over his head when he tried to take the leprechaun's gold, he was spot on in his understanding of the lore of the creature. According to legend, when the Danes invaded Ireland way back in 795 AD, the leprechauns either took the Danes' plundered gold, or Danes gave the gold to the leprechauns to guard. Either way, the gold was then hidden in crocks, or pots, all throughout Ireland. Like fairies and goblins, leprechauns are tricksters. They particularly trick those who try and steal their gold. They also sometimes carry around a piece of silver and a piece of gold with them that they will use for payment. Shortly after being used, the silver piece will vanish and return to the leprechaun's pocket, while the gold piece will turn to leaves or ash. No matter what the case is, you're going to have a hard time tricking the leprechaun out of their sweet, sweet gold. Number three. The Irish are a superstitious folk, and there are lots of superstitions based on folklore, urban legend, and just passed down. One of the most popular urban folk legends is based on the Blarney Stone. Kissing the Blarney Stone gives the kisser the gift of persuasion and the ability to gab any nonsense. There are others connected to monsters, such as never picking up a comb from the ground since it belongs to the banshee, and ones about fairies, like never disturbing a fairy fort, which can be identified by its circular structure. As a Catholic country, there are also lots of superstitions that arose from Catholicism, such as scoring bread with the cross to let the devil out, and leaving a candle burning on your window during Christmas. Number four. The leprechaun boasted of crafting great beer made from heath. This surprised Tom, as he expected it to be made from malt, and I do not blame him for being confused. To start, let's talk about beer. In its simplest form, beer is made from fermenting starches and water. Today, barley malt is the most common starch used, though wheat, rice, and other grains are also fermented. In 1516, Germany made the Reinheitsgebot, aka the Beer Purity Law, which dictates what ingredients are used for beer to be, well, beer. <laughs> the original text says, We wish forthwith that in all our towns and markets and in the countryside, no other items to be used for beer other than barley, hops, and water. Some addendums would be made to this over the centuries, including the addition of yeast as a core ingredient. And this is only because yeast was just discovered in the 17th century, but it was unknowingly a part of the beer-making process the whole time. Besides that, the Reinheitskabot has mostly stayed the same and is still in effect today. 
making it the world's oldest still valid food safety and consumption protection legislation. Now that we are more familiar with beer in general, let's talk about heath. Heath is not an exact plant, but rather a shrubbery habitat. These appear in cooler, damp climates such as in Ireland and Great Britain. So if the leprechaun was referring to the bush plants found in a heath, then you can see how Tom was surprised as this would not be considered a normal plant used in the beer making process. He could be referring to heather, which was used for Scottish beers before hops became more easily available in the 18 and 1900s. Ultimately, I think this is supposed to highlight the leprechaun's resourcefulness and a touch of magic when he used heath rather than malt as Tom suggested. Number five. The stereotype of Irish drinking can be traced all the way back to the Celts and the trope of labeling other groups as barbarians. We all know this thing I'm talking about from every high fantasy story where barbaric groups have large halls filled with rowdy bearded men swinging huge flagons of mead. There are references to the drunken Celts from Roman and Greek writers, however we take these accounts with a grain of salt, as the accounts are heavily subjective and biased. Greek historian Diodorus wrote about the Gauls, a group of Celts from continental Europe, and said they were, quote, exceedingly addicted to the use of wine, and that, quote, when they were drunken, they fall into a stupor or a state of madness. The drunken Irishman stereotype is still prevalent, having been fueled by anti-immigrant sentiments in the United States. But there have also been studies within Ireland by psychiatrist Dr. Dermot Walsh from the St. James Hospital in 1962, which focused on the Irish cultural environment around drinking, along with commentary from Elizabeth Malcolm, who argued that in the 16th century, depictions of Irish drinking was used as a reason to colonize the barbarians. For more information on this, please check out Cambridge University's Medical History Journal, Volume 65, which will be linked on this episode summary on our website. As always, if you want to see the show summary, notes, and the five fantastic finds, please check them out on our website, talesfromtheenchantedforest.com. If you want to hear more from us, join us on Twitter at FromEnchanted or Instagram at Tales from the Enchanted Forest. Or if you're old school like Sparrow, you can email us at talesfromtheenchantedforest at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, and suggestions. So if, if you have anything to share, please don't hesitate. And remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard here today and what we do here, please give us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. We'll give you a big shout out and our eternal gratitude. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. Mm-hmm.